I think we've probably gleaned pretty well from the service so far and from the things that have been going on over the last couple of months that's Christmas. And uh, what a great time of the year it is. Um, just to set the scene for what I've got to say this morning, I uh, have a short video that I'd just like to show, so we'd like to run that now. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to send his son. Where does the God of the universe send his son? Where, where, where does the King of Kings and Lord of Lords come? To a barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this wasn't any ordinary king. When I say it was messy, I mean messy. It, it was a barn, a stable, right? So you've got animals and animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for people, much less a place for the king of kings to be born. Why would God do that? Well, I can't tell you for sure, because Isaiah explains to us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. But that same prophet 400 years before Jesus was born, said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, and that he has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus came to a messy place. Oh, yeah, a barn, a manger, that's messy. But he came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of the sheep, to prepare a way for them to go home. That's what a shepherd does. He lives where the sheep are. He sleeps where they sleep. He eats where they eat. It got Jesus in trouble. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because that's what the shepherd does. An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. A sign. You ever wondered what that sign was? A sign for what? Maybe a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. A sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. Because Jesus never had a home, never had a place to rest his head. Maybe it was a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. A sign that he detests the splendor of humans because it's not worthy of him. But it was a sign for us that we should follow suit. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on would write, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Although he was the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, being made in human likeness. A servant. You see, being a servant is is messy 
And Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. The God of the universe, the God who deserved the best of everything, got on his knees. He's the God who came to the world and was laid in a manger, a feed trough of all places. Why such a messy place? Because he was following a messy plan. So needless to say, that very first Christmas was dirty. It was grimy, it was, it was filthy. <laughs> but thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be in. You know, as we were singing that song this morning, Be Lifted High, I couldn't help but think about that particular clip to sort of um, to, to just recognise that, that Jesus, when he came into the world, was anything but lifted high except to his father and, and obviously his parents and, and those who were fortunate enough to have been visited by the angels. Just like to read from Luke um, chapter 2, 18 to, eight, uh, sorry, 8 to 14. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news and will bring great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. Uh, the city of David. And you will recognise him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snu snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I've got a bit of a confession to make. Um, I grew up in a, in a home that uh, oh, I guess we were labelled Christian but my mum was a churchgoer, my father wasn't and, uh, and we sort of towed, towed the line and went along to uh, Sunday school and, and did all those sorts of things as we were growing up. But Christmas was always uh, a very significant event uh, regardless of all that but probably for the wrong reasons. I think that the, uh, the lead-up to Christmas has always been one of uh, a build-up of excitement over a number of months and uh, lots of discussion and, and dreaming and hoping about what you're going to be given for Christmas as a present or presents. And if you only got one, you were generally not all that happy anyway. Um, but Christmas was always heralded by the, I guess in, in Perth where I grew up, by the Christmas decorations going up in the centre of the city um, and, and those Christmas decorations would depict various Christian themes, including, uh, of course, the mandatory nativity scenes. And then that was followed by the usual uh, commercial aspects, which focused, of course, more on economic gain than anything else. And, and that has, in fact, uh, just continued to, to explode over the years that I've been around to where now Christmas is critical to the economic survival of our country, so it seems. And of course, the whole, uh, the whole thing uh, culminated in an annual Christmas pageant 
and uh, of course the mandatory carols by candlelight. And I unfortunately sat through the carols by candlelight um, broadcast last night, which of course was sponsored by Woolworths and uh, interspersed by many, many adverts uh, sort of pushing great ideas for Christmas and all of that sort of stuff. The thing that disappointed me about that whole thing was there may have been about maybe half a dozen, I guess, uh, Christmas carol um, songs that actually referred to the coming of Christ. That saddens me. I mean, one of those songs last night, I think, was All I Want for Christmas is a big hippopotamus or something like that. I mean, just the most ridiculous things. And most of the songs weren't even related to Christmas in any way whatsoever. Um, anyway, I guess there was that build-up and, uh, and over time uh, Christmas finally came. And it, back in those days, it seemed like it was forever, like it would, it would take forever to get here. Today, no sooner has Christmas finished than you seem to be getting ready for the next one and it comes far too soon for, for us adults. But uh, by the time that day arrived, you know, we, we were having trouble even going to bed. I mean, we wouldn't sleep. We were just wondering, well, what? And I must admit, I never had a, never had a great uh, belief in Father Christmas or anything like that. I knew where they came from. And, uh, and uh, I was, uh, I was uh, waiting expectantly for the morning so that I could uh, get up and open presents generally far earlier than my parents really wanted me up. Um, the enjoyment of opening all those presents was, uh, was, just, oh, it was just fantastic. You know, you'd get up and you'd be playing with all these things and then all of a sudden it was interrupted. It was interrupted by having to put everything aside to get up and do our duty, go to church uh, and uh, formally recognise the birth of Christ. And that was very quickly over because Christmas Day services were always short and, uh, and we didn't waste any time bundling everybody back in the car, go home and, uh, and uh, get into the, the good stuff, which was the presents and gifts and things like that. Those Christmas messages at church, I, I can't say that I ever took a great deal of notice of them, quite honestly. I mean, I'd heard them once. I'd heard them a dozen times, however many times I'd been around. And uh, it just seemed to be the same message year in and year out. But I guess one thing was something must have, uh, have sunk in. I guess I had an established belief that Jesus was born and that he was the Son of God. I, I never really had any problem with that. But the significance of that event never really sunk in until quite later in my life. The most, other most significant thing on the day was, uh, was we'd all pack up in the afternoon and we'd go down to my grandmother's house in Fremantle and, uh, and there we'd meet with my uncle and auntie and my uncle and auntie were quite well off so they always gave us really nice presents and that was the, uh, that was the big deal about going to my grandmother's place. However, uh, after we all ate and had our fun and all of that sort of stuff, we would often go out and we would spread blankets out on the back lawn of her house and in those days Fremantle was pretty dark, like there weren't a lot of lights around so uh, it was a great time to go out and sit in the dark. We'd lie on our backs as kids and we'd look up at the sky and somehow for some reason the sky seemed to be a lot clearer and there seemed to be a lot more stars in it on that night than any other night of the year. <coughs> there obviously wasn't but that's how it seemed to me at the time. But I used to always pick out the brightest star 
and imagine that it was the very star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. My parents were strong Christian people and they would openly talk about, about Christmas and about God and about uh, all sorts of things to do with, with, with their Christian walk. But they used to do it in a way that it never happened in, our, in my immediate family. Still, the story I got of the birth of Christ was very deeply sanitised, which has been happening over the past 2,000 years. As we've turned the barn into a cosy, almost sterile environment with a nice clean floor, a manger presented as a custom-made baby's cradle with spotlessly clean straw, everybody meticulously dressed in a nice clean and iron robes of the day and a couple of perfectly groomed and well-behaved animals thrown in for good measure. How far that is from the actual truth of, of what happened on that day. Michael Card, who's a Christian musician and songwriter, says that we've created a pretty significant myth and that over the course of time we've turned the barn into a palace and in the process taken the Bible story and turned it into something like a fairy tale. And I guess that's, um, that makes the whole story far more palatable, takes it from an undisputable fact to the realm of nothing more than a good story which requires absolutely no response. And while I'm sure that Christian Christmas means a great deal to most Christians, it poses an annual challenge to those of us who have heard the story since we were children. After you've attended 20, 30, 40 or more Christmas pageants and you've listened to at least as many Christian sermons and heard and sung every Christmas carol a few hundred times, what more is left to be said that hasn't been said before? And herein lies a problem. Familiarity can breed contempt or at least a kind of casual disinterest. What revelation could possibly come from the story that we don't already know? Well, I believe that the story of Christmas is, is full of surprises and it's, they're surprises that open up every year when you start to delve into the story as, it, as it's uh, recorded in the scriptures. And it tells the most amazing story. The story is that God invaded human history in the form of a tiny, helpless baby who was born in the filth of a barn with all that entails and laid in a cozy, not in a cosy cot but wrapped up in rags and placed in a feeding trough, as we saw in the movie. We have no idea how Mary actually delivered this baby because nothing is said about that, but one can only imagine that it wouldn't have been easy in those conditions. Jesus' birth was the equivalent of the poorest and most destitute people in this world who, gave, gave birth in, or who give birth in equally difficult circumstances. Even today, we don't think about all the kids that are born today into very similar sorts of conditions as that. And I guess sometimes I wonder is why did God choose to do it this way? The prophet Isaiah, as we heard this morning, said his ways are not our ways. And we find that in lots of areas of our lives where we expect God to work one way and he works an entirely different way, but ultimately all for his good. So several questions come to mind for me. And this is what got me, was the angel turned up, presented himself to, to the shepherds who are out there and, and said, uh, you know, there's a saviour born in Bethlehem and this is the sign 
that you will look for. And um, the sign was that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, what's so significant about that? How did they even know who they were looking for? Um, It's a baby. They didn't say where. According to the scriptures, they didn't say where. They did say he was a saviour. That was the only hint that they gave him, that this baby was any different to any other baby. So what does the manger itself signify? Well, Jesus was almost certainly not the only baby in Bethlehem that night. We know that later on Herod had all the baby boys under the age of two put to death. We presume there were lots of them. So there must have been other infants and toddlers. So what's so special about a baby in a manger? So one wonders what might have been going through the minds of the shepherds. Is this the only sign we're looking for? A baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger? What is it really saying? Is there something else to this? Where's the sign? A baby. Well, they obviously knew, and it was obviously divine, a divine leading that brought them to the, to the manger to see Christ. But of that sign, there were three distinct components. I just want to break them down. But firstly, they were looking for a baby. Now, as I've already mentioned, there were probably thousands of babies in Bethlehem that night. So what made this particular baby different from the rest? There were obviously lots and lots of people in Bethlehem. No, there was no room, so they, they couldn't find the accommodation anywhere. So obviously everything that was available was full and probably families had their other families visiting from elsewhere and all of those sorts of things. And, uh, and the place was full. So it was jam-packed full of people. And you can probably assume that there were lots and lots of babies amongst them. Well, the only difference that, was that, that, that the, the angel told these these shepherds was that it would be a saviour, that Jesus was a saviour. And that's what made Jesus different. The fact that the saviour of the world started life as a baby brings us face to face with the truth of the incarnation. Although he was fully and truly God from all eternity, the Son of God took on true humanity when he was conceived and ultimately born in Bethlehem. He was not half God and half man, but fully God and fully man. He did not cease to be God, although he laid aside the outward glory of his deity. And in some mysterious way to us, Jesus was God-man, two natures joining together in this one person. And this is the central truth of Christianity. God has entered human history in order to provide for our salvation. What we could not do, he did for us through his son. And everything else flows from this truth. If he had not been born, he could not have died for our sins. And if he had not died for our sins, he wouldn't have risen from the dead. He had to become like us in order to save us. There was no other way that God could do it. The second point was they'd find a child wrapped in cloths. 
Now, I did a little bit of research on this, but apparently it was customary for mothers to wrap the arms and legs separately and then wrap the torso until a baby looked like an Egyptian mummy. Now, this might seem very constricting and cruel, and indeed, it did severely restrict the child's movements. But in a world where there was little medical care and where babies routinely died before their first birthday, it was a way of providing some crude kind of protection from the elements. And my understanding is that Bethlehem was a pretty cold place at that time of the year. So if this was so common, why did the angel even mention it? Every baby's wrapped up in, in cloths, looking like an Egyptian mummy. So why did the angel mention it? And we can only really surmise about that. But perhaps it was a sign for another time. Years later, when he would stand before the Jewish authorities, bound and guarded as if he were a common criminal. It seems no coincidence that he entered the world as he left it, bound and helpless. Now, looking at the baby in this way, no one can say he came for the rich and powerful. And no one can say that he used his heavenly prerogatives to make an easy entrance into the world. He came not for the faith of a few, but to be the saviour of all. He was bound that we might be set free. And thirdly, the baby would be lying in a manger. Now, out of all of those three things, this is probably the most unusual and unique aspect of the sign. It would be highly unlikely for any child to end up in a feeding trough. And yet that's where God chose to put Jesus on that night. So what does it mean? We picked up a little bit in the movie clip there. But I believe that it's also a sign of the life he would lead that of a servant king who would identify with the poor and needy, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peace market makers and the persecuted. And that's exactly the opposite of what a world expects of a king. Now we know that the Jews were looking for a Messiah. Even Herod's scribes knew, as had been predicted in Micah, that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Why didn't they recognise him when he came? And here's the very good reason. And the problem is that they could not divine the ordinary. They could not see the ordinary, the divine in the ordinary. They missed him altogether. They wanted something spectacular. They wanted a political messiah who would deliver them from Roman dominion. The Jews wanted a sign, that they, that they were, but they weren't expecting a baby in a manger. God gave them a sign, but they missed it. It was too simple. And sadly for many people, it's too simple today. It's a fact that Jesus is the only person that's ever been born to die. Every other child that's born in this world is born to live. Ultimately, yes, we do die, but the whole purpose is to live and live a life for Christ. Jesus was the only person who was predestined to die in a certain way at a certain time. And death was the goal and fulfilment of his life. Even in the feeding trough, he was already bearing the only cross that a baby can bear. 
extreme poverty and contempt and the indifference of mankind. This baby lying forgotten in an exposed stable, resting in a feeding trough, is God's appointed sign to us all. This is a true incarnation. God has come to the world in a most unlikely way. This is what Philippians says in 2.7. said, He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So there was nothing about the baby Jesus that appeared supernatural. There were no halos, even though they have halos and all sorts of bright lights around them in the nativity scenes. As far as we're aware, there were no halos. There were no angels visible and no choirs singing. This is in the stable. If you'd been there and if you had no other information, you would have concluded that this was just a baby born to a poor young couple who were down on their luck. Nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to God. That being the case, it's no wonder that the world missed him. The unfortunate thing is they still miss him today. And it's only by the eye of faith that the majesty of Christ is seen. Faith is a gift from God. And without faith it's impossible to see God, to know God or to understand the things of God. Without faith you can watch a thousand Christmas pageants, sing a million Christmas carols, get all the presents in the world, but you'll never get it. The unsaved heart is blind and simply cannot see the gospel. Until God takes away that blindness, no amount of argument or beautiful music or anything like that for that matter will make any difference. So although it seems like a most unlikely beginning, God's surprising sign is a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and resting a feeding trough in a filthy stable. It's hardly a likely beginning for a movement that would ultimately change the world. What a rebuke to those who love pomp and outward glory, to those who despise the small things in this world. Jesus was once a small thing himself. Now, if the world had needed education, God would would have sent a teacher. If the world had needed an army, God would have sent a general. And if the world had needed more money, God would have sent a banker. But since the world needed a saviour, God sent a baby. And that's the surprise and the wonder and the ultimate delight of Christmas. God did what we could never have done. And in so doing, he opened the door to heaven for all of us.